This is TechSnap, episode 395. Hello, and welcome to TechSnap, Jupiter Broadcasting's systems, network, and administration podcast. This episode was recorded on January 20th, 2019. My name is Wes, and I'm very pleased to be joined with our new regular co-host, Mr. Jim Salter. Welcome to the show, Jim. Hi, Wes. Great of you to join. Now, of course, you've been on the show before, and I've got to say, it seems like everyone loved it. We got tons of great feedback, and you were good enough to come on here full time. I'm excited. I'm excited to get to know you better, and I'm excited for us to talk about all the crazy things going on in the world. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. Always good to get a chance to uh, talk to more people. So we'll be exploring things and fleshing out this new era of the show. Lots of fun stuff. Nothing's going to change too radically at first. Uh, but the first thing you will notice, the show's going to come out every two weeks. Uh, now, that's not to say that there might not be special coverage or other additional things in the feed from time to time, but you can expect a new tech snap every two weeks. Of course, if you want to have it easy, just subscribe, techsnap.systems slash subscribe. Now, Jim, recently I noticed a great little blog post over at your homepage, uh, and you were talking about some of the, the encryption setup you were doing for some of your web servers, and specifically, you were using Let's Encrypt. That's a subject the show's touched on many times, but, you know, we've never really done a deep dive. I thought maybe we'd start out this first episode jumping in to Let's Encrypt. Yeah, absolutely. I think Let's Encrypt is uh, super important. You know, we, we keep moving further and further into an era where everybody expects literally all the services to be end-to-end encrypted, which, uh, you know, it, it presents some interesting new challenges in system and network administration, but it's also a great goal because we're just, you know, I, I find myself, a little digression here, I find myself wanting to apologize to William Gibson more and more frequently because I remember being just enthralled with his books like Neuromancer and Count Zero when I was 17, you know, back in the dark ages in the 80s. Oh, yeah. And, like, I loved those books, man. I mean, the imagery was great. I loved the atmosphere. But I remember over and over, 17-year-old me and, you know, like the mid-80s, thinking, but all this stuff, like, where anybody can hack into anything at any time, it's just stupid. I mean, put a password on it. You're done, right? (laughs) I can't tell you how many times over the past couple of decades I've remembered how often I thought that at 17 and thought, I am so sorry William Gibson, of all the things I've gotten wrong, that was one of the worst. But, you know, anyway, here we are today and we live in a world of, you know, every kind of exploit imaginable all the time, it seems like. And everybody's always discovering more and you can never get away from them. And uh, encrypting things end to end is one of the key things to minimize how many different areas of vulnerability your traffic is, uh, you know, can be exploited from. So Let's Encrypt is crucial because it makes the process a lot more accessible to everyone. Uh, you know, it's it's free as in beer. It doesn't cost you any money. Everybody knows that part. I feel like the part that not enough people realize is it's also a lot easier than the old school way of going and buying your certificates. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking about that today. Oh, yeah. You know, that's a great point. And uh, you mentioned, mentioned some of the dark ages in the 80s. Well... You know, encryption, widespread encryption on the internet hasn't been around quite that long, but it has been around for a long time. And for a, a lot of that time, I would call it the dark ages. You know, there weren't a lot of standards, a lot of ad hoc protocols, and the workflow you had to go to. First, 
most of the time certificates cost money. There were a couple options for, you know, smaller organizations or personal use that you could get for free. Even then it was a hassle. You had to, you know, you had to go get a, a certificate signing request, which you go sent to them. A lot of those vendors also used some pretty obscure UIs where they gave you a certificate that you used to log in instead of using a password. And well, that was plenty secure. It was a workflow basically no one used on any other any other sites. I've always tended to think that I felt personally that the money aspect of SSL was a little bit overplayed. Um, you know, these days you can get a cheap domain validated certificate for seven or eight bucks a year. And it feels like that shouldn't be a very big barrier. I know that not everybody's perspective is the same as mine. You know, you have users in developing countries where seven or eight dollars could represent a significant fraction of, you know, what they earn in a day uh, or even more. But the uh, the other thing is it's important to remember it hasn't always been this, you know, quote unquote cheap either. Uh, there was a long time that I avoided the use of SSL on any of my websites because like, ah, you know, none of the content there is that important. It doesn't matter worrying about man in the middle when I might have to pay, you know, $30 or $100 a year for even the cheapest SSL certificate. That was really annoying then. That's just out of hand. It's it's very unreasonable. And it meant there was a there was a high barrier for anyone to actually use encryption. So even if you wanted to, like you said, it just wasn't a realistic option. Yeah, there really was. And it's probably important to remember that, you know, even for those of us who are thinking that now, you know, the uh, the commercially purchased certificates, they're not that expensive. They're within reach. There's always going to be somebody else who it hasn't quite gotten there yet. But, you know, even if you are like us and, uh, you know, you're you're making enough money that you're like, ah, you know, seven bucks a year, I don't care. I won't even notice it. Just the hassle of actually having to go every year or at most two years, because most most uh, registrars aren't issuing long term certificates anymore. You can only get a year or two at a time. So every year or two, you're at a serious risk if you you know don't have everything scheduled and get everything done in a timely fashion and up to date. And if you let things go too long or if something goes wrong when you are renewing it you can have a, a real interruption of service. You know, that's a great point. And that was certainly my experience. Uh, organizations I've seen, you know, it was a, a seldom done, like you say, like every year or two years, uh, you know, some ops staff member or someone responsible for it, they've gotten some alert. They're like, oh, oh crap, the domain expires tomorrow. And then they have to go to some wiki inside that has really bad documentation about where to go get the credentials to go to whichever particular vendor that company is using to provide it. And then, of course, each vendor has a slightly different process or gives you the keys in a slightly different format that's not quite the one that your web server wants to accept. And the wiki maybe has some bad documentation about how to convert it. It really meant that since people weren't doing it regularly, it was a painful process and things could go wrong. An example of that right now is that some of the government sites are at risk of needing to be renewed and might not be due to the ongoing government shutdown. And because there wasn't a lot of automation, you know, there weren't standards to try to do this sort of domain validation, you didn't have any options. Right. And, you know, it, it kind of feels like, uh, I don't know, it feels like shooting in a barrel, you know, taking a poke at the U.S. government right now, as broken as that is. Part of the issue, you you kind of, uh, you kind of started touching that earlier with, the process of actually renewing these security certificates with the vendors is, you know, it's not automated and it's very, very clunky. Uh, if you're actually, you know, if, if you're under the eight ball, behind the eight ball, if you're behind the eight ball trying to get a certificate renewed while the service is down, it is insanely frustrating because even if you're renewing this certificate, you know, for the fifth time in 10 years from the same vendor, 
there's just these weird pauses where like they request you to complete a step and you complete that step and you're waiting for them to acknowledge that you've completed it and then waiting like this unspecified amount of time for them to email you something else and then you can do the next thing and eventually finally you know you get an actual certificate and a key that you can place in the right path for your web server or mail server and you know there's just it's it's uh it's not very reassuring if you've got somebody breathing down your neck like you literally can't answer them like okay well this is how this is going to go this is the amount of time it's going to take because you know one day you'll get a response the email response from the vendor in five or ten minutes and you know the next you won't get it for four or five hours that's a great point and i think part of the key of that is there are like humans involved. It's a very human intensive process. People are waiting, sitting. There's people checking their email for alerts or ticketing systems. Now, I mean, thankfully, we don't have to live in that time anymore. Now we have Let's Encrypt. Before we get too deep into what Let's Encrypt is and does, I feel like we ought to touch quickly on the types of SSL certificates that you can get. And in the most uh, in the most basic terms, there are two big groupings of certificates. There's DV certificates and EV certificates. Now, the inexpensive ones that most of us are familiar with that uh, if you shop around a little, you can find for as low as seven or eight dollars a year. And uh, even at the really expensive vendors, they're usually no more than 20 or 30. Uh, those are DV certificates, and that stands for domain validated. And the way that a domain validated certificate is issued is you contact the vendor and you throw some money at them and say, hey, I want a certificate. And they say, okay, fine. Uh, do you want to validate that by putting an HTML page on your website? We give you the page, you put it on your website, we validate that it's there. So we say, yeah, okay, this is the person who actually you know controls and admins that website. Or do you want to put a text record on your domain? We'll give you a string of random uh, garbage and you put that in a text record on the domain you want the cert for. And again, this will show us that you control that domain and therefore we should give you a certificate. Because what you have to remember is the certificate doesn't only encrypt your traffic, at least as importantly, it signs and authenticates it. Um, the reason you get that green lock in your browser is not just that the traffic is encrypted, it's because there's been some process that says, hey, this was encrypted by somebody who actually owns the domain that you think you're talking to. Right. And that's a, that's a huge point is that you give some assurance of you might know a little bit about someone on the other side. Now, of course, like, like you're saying with just domain validation, well, that, that's all you get. And there are the extended validation where you try to get a little bit more, although how often that works very well is I think an open question. Yeah, it is an open question. Um, and to expand on that for anybody who's not used to it, extended validation works a lot more like you know, it's kind of like uh, renewing your driver's license. You have to uh, you have to fax a human some paperwork that says, you know, hey, I am the organization that this domain names, and you know, here's like some power bills or you know a lease or something that demonstrates that I really am, you know, residing in the place that this organization is run from, and I am this person that's listed, you know, like in the business license. Um, and some human is supposed to actually review all that and okay it and say, okay, yeah, we have done an extended validation that the holder of this certificate is the person who they say they are representing the organization that they say they do. And so you should trust that identity. Now that's what Let's Encrypt can't and won't do for you. All Let's Encrypt does is DV certificates. 
With that said, you know, it's pretty hard to come up with statistics on uh, DV versus EV, but it is very, very safe to say that the vast majority of the SSL certificates issued every year are domain validated, not extended validated. The other thing is you can't put too much trust in the extended validation process these days, not only because extended validation only goes so far and it's still vulnerable to, you know, all the millennia worth of social engineering we humans have figured out how to do on each other. There's also the problem that your browser trusts this gigantic ring of certification authorities and literally anybody who can issue a certificate that's within your your browser's uh, CA trust ring can issue one. If they issue one for your site, then your browser will accept it as valid. Never mind that, you know, there's this much more validated certificate somewhere else absent, you know, certificate pinning or some other really complex stuff that uh, very few people do or do effectively, you're still kind of at the mercy of, you know, well, this is a certificate. So at the end of the day, I kind of feel like everybody is really only domain validated, however much like they'd like to make it otherwise. That is a great point. And it seems like, at least by and large, for most things, it's good enough. The, the man in the middle risk that SSL helps alleviate is that if somebody can get in the middle and intercept traffic and change it, uh, they may have been able to intercept your DNS and redirect you somewhere else. But that somewhere else, it's a lot easier for them to man in the middle you than to man in the middle a certification authority. Because when you do the domain validation, you not only have to get like somebody's computer somewhere to read in uh, DNS information that will point them to the attacker site, you actually have to man in the middle, you know, basically, uh, you've got to alter the root DNS structure for the internet. And that's an entirely different order of exploit that nobody's going to waste on, you know, yourwebsite.com. You know, you touched on something that I think is pretty important too. Um, for people not overly familiar with with TLS and and the structure of encryption on the internet, it really does all come down to distributed trust, right? We just have organizations that we've blessed to hold the private keys that our operating systems ship the public key equivalent of, and we're basically saying, all right, you set of trusted organizations, you're responsible for issuing valid certificates to people who apply to you. But that's that's a lot of human error involved. Yes, and it is a uh, it's probably a far larger web of trust than it should be. There have been some pretty untrustworthy organizations in that circle of trust. Well, that's probably a good a good point to sort of pivot and let's talk about how we got to the new blessed era out of the dark ages. That was really when some Mozilla employees, as well as some people from the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and eventually a, a ton of others came together to solve this problem. We had a world where it was expensive and difficult to get certificates, and at the same time, we were realizing that we needed more encryption. The internet was becoming a more dangerous place, and encryption could help fight and solve some of those problems. But reluctant sysadmins and website administrators were not willing to jump through the hoops. So the idea with Let's Encrypt was, let's automate this and make it easy. Yes, and it is so much easier right now. I've been dealing with SSL with the standard commercial process for, uh, you know, 15 or 20 years, but doing so pretty reluctantly because it is such a giant pain in the butt. I actually still, this is a little embarrassing. I still haven't actually set up an SSL certificate on my own uh, blog, which I really need to get around to. Pretty much everything else I'm doing is SSL uh, encrypted. Right, new deployment stuff that you're setting up right now. Yeah, but just not the blog because, uh, you know, again, that whole... uh, 
nobody should really be, you know, doing like a wget and pipe to bash off of my blog. So it doesn't seem like that fruitful a target for, you know, man in the middle. And I just haven't dealt with it. But as I have started dealing with Let's Encrypt stuff for, uh, you know, some of the other sites that uh, I administer, it's very quickly become a realization of, oh, this is a lot, a lot less painful than it used to be. Because now I can just, uh, you know, I'm an Ubuntu person uh, by preference. And uh, I can just add the PPA for Let's Encrypt and uh, apt install certbot Apache and uh, run it and uh, you get this really easy dialogue that says, hey, I see you know these 10 sites being serviced from this host. Uh, do you want me to set up certificates for any of them or all of them? You tell me, you know, enter in the numbers or you know zero for everything. And you tell it and then it asks you, all right, well, do you want to automatically redirect all non-encrypted traffic over to the HTTPS? And you say either yes or no. And you know, hopefully you're saying yes, because why shouldn't you? In the past, I've been used to having to manually edit vhost configurations to uh, to redirect non-encrypted traffic over to the HTTPS side, and Certbot will manage all that for you right now. Uh, you get you just get your site running on the internet, period, and you can just tell Certbot encrypt this, please, and it will do it. Not only does it go ahead and set up the certificates and install them and redirect traffic if you want it to, it also automatically adds cron jobs to your system to renew these certificates automatically without any user intervention required from yourself. You never have any downtime. Uh, it starts renewing the certificates, I believe, uh, 30 days before they're due to expire. So even if it fails a couple of times, um, it has time to get it right. You know, like if there's some downtime for a day or two. Uh, it's it's pretty sweet. You know, that. yeah, that's a great description of kind of the miracle of today. And that's possible thanks to the hard work of the people behind Let's Encrypt. Uh, and just to be clear, Let's Encrypt is an arm of the Internet Security Research Group, which is a public benefit corporation. They have made the main contribution, which is an IETF draft right now, and that is the Automatic Certificate Management Environment, otherwise known as as Acme. And that's the magic, the protocol, the machine language behind this that makes all of the wonderful automation that Jim was just talking about possible. But this time, Wile E. Coyote got it right and it actually works. It really does. And that's kind of been the amazing story behind Let's Encrypt. They got a lot of industry professionals who were already working in the field, knew what the problems were, and had experience building and running services. So what you've seen is remarkable stability uh, and a lot of transparency. A lot of that comes from having the right people in it from this get-go. Like you said, uh, you know, folks from Mozilla and the EFF leading the charge. Pretty much anytime I see a combo like that, uh, I got a very good feeling about that project, put it that way. Now, how does how does all of this work? How What's the magic behind Acme? Well, really, it's just automating the things we were talking about before that, that humans had to do. Uh, you basically exchange some secrets, and your job, the Acme client is to prove to the Acme server that you control the domain whose certificate you're requesting. Yeah, and uh, you know, a brief rundown of what that process actually looks like uh, when, you, when you actually request a certificate. This is a process that I'm more familiar with than I really wish I was you know, from <laughs> having to do it manually over the years. But the first thing that you have to do is you have to generate a, a key, a private key. Once you've got that key, now you've got to generate a certificate request, a CSR. The CSR is encrypted using that key. And then you have to give the CSR to your certification authority. Your certification authority processes all the stuff that's encrypted within 
that CSR, which includes the name of the domain that you want the certificate to be for, any subject alternative names, you know, what your organization's name is, all this other crap. It has to process all that, and then eventually uh, it will generate a certificate that's based on that key and based on that CSR. And you have to put all this together in the right directories and point your web server or your mail server or whatever to all the right files. There are usually chain files. Uh, there's intermediate certification authorities that are like in between you and the big CA that uh, you know gives the the actual certification out. And you have to get all those associated as well in your configuration. So you might have your key, your certificate, the certification authority certificate, and one or two intermediate certification bundles that you all have to specify in your web server or mail server's configuration files in the proper order in the right way. And if you don't, then it just breaks. And you go to try to load the web page in your browser and you get some uh, not very helpful HTTP you know, 4XX error that basically just says crap's broke. It means nothing to your users, that's for sure. Yeah, and then you're Googling that and trying to figure out where you might have gotten wrong. And uh, I'd be lying if I didn't admit all too frequently, you're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall that you think might work until it does. And then you go, okay, Got it. You cat a couple files together and you reload your web server and you're like, okay, is it working this time? Sweet. It works. Save that. Back it up now. All right. We're good for another year or two. So the difference is when you run CertBot, it manages all of that stuff for you. And, you know, and I skipped the part with the domain validation. I was literally just talking about the process of generating the certificate. CertBot does all of that for you. It, you don't have to feed it a key, nothing. You just, it, it knows what the domain is. Uh, because you've told it, you know, these are the domains I want to encrypt. Well, it generates the keys, it does the CSRs, it does the domain validation. What it actually does, and this is important to know if you ever want to get into something more advanced like setting up uh, Let's Encrypt where you've got like a reverse caching proxy in the mix. What it actually does is it temporarily puts some files. Remember I talked before about, you know, you got these kind of garbage text files that you put there for the certification authority to read to verify that you do control this domain. Well, CertBot does that by putting a, a random string of stuff into a file on your website under a directory called .well underscore known. So it says, all right, you should expect to find this string of stuff under the .well known folder on this domain. And then it puts the file there and then the remote uh, cert, Let's Encrypt Certification Authority reads that file, says, yep, the stuff is there that you said it would be. You are who you are. Here's your certificate. Then CertBot installs it and you're good to go. So all of this is completely automated. Uh, you know, it happens in literally the time that you're saying, okay, yes, I want to, you know, pick uh, sites one, two, and three off the list. And those are the ones I want the certificate for. That takes more time than the entire rest of the process. It installs everything. It sets up the cron jobs. It restarts the services. It does the whole thing in a second or two. Yeah, it, it's really amazing. Um, and for people who aren't aware, CertBot is sort of the premier Let's Encrypt client backed by the EFF. Uh, it has all kinds of functionality and it's really set a high standard of automation. So not only do you have automated retrieval and renewal of certificates, but as Jim just mentioned, you're also updating web server configurations and reloading sites on the fly. So you don't even have to go log into a system and restart Nginx all the time. We've also seen some clients, uh, I think Caddy was one of the first, but there's a, there's a lot more now, including Apache, at least with a maybe beta-ish new module that's out there, 
well, they just have the client, the Acme client built right in. Yeah. And, you know, I should say also for the more paranoid sysadmin types out there, you don't have to let CertBot manage your uh, vhost configs, you know, for uh, Nginx or Apache or whatever server you're using. That's not a requirement. Uh, you can take back control of any of these automated steps in the process for yourself. But I will tell you as a fellow rather paranoid sysadmin who's used to doing all this stuff manually, don't bother. It works. It's really battle tested now, right? Yeah, you can. Like it, it's been happening enough time. There's such a good degree of automation that it, the, a lot of the kinks are, are just ironed out. Yeah, I've been very impressed with it. I do more in vhost configurations under Apache than just about anybody else that I encounter. Um, you know, most people, they take the easy way out with the .ht access files. Oh, yeah, right. Those are gross. Yeah, those are pretty gross. And I've never been a big fan. And I do some pretty complex configuration stuff in my sites directly in the vhost config. And I have yet to encounter one of these vhost configurations. And, you know, sometimes they're two or three pages long for a single site. Uh, CertBot hasn't broken one for me yet. It just works. Another nice thing, um, and as you mentioned, like you can have different degrees of control, is there's a whole plethora of clients, from the ones that are built into some of the more modern web servers to just bash routines that implement the whole protocol. So you can almost certainly find a library or a client for whatever system or language you prefer, and they offer various degrees of support. Now, there is Acme version 2 now that supports some um, some new security. They've changed some of the, the particulars about some of the challenges to make things more secure, and it includes wildcard support. But I think it's a great example because not only is Acme version 1 still supported, and there is plans to give a sunset time with lots of proper notice, but the community of clients has really rapidly adopted Acme v2. So you can just tell it's a healthy ecosystem. People are updating things. It's just a great community. Now, as I mentioned, one of the big changes with Acme v2 was changing some of the challenges. And in particular, there had been some problems with a challenge called TLS SNI01. And the idea here is the Acme server is trying to validate your domain name, but this time they generate a random token. The client takes that token and creates a self-signed certificate with a specific invalid host name. And then the web server running behind that domain hosts that to serve the certificate back to the Acme server. Now, this all sounds well and good until you think about some of those bigger cloud environments. Researchers noticed that at least two large hosting providers host many users on the same IP address, and users are able to upload certificates for arbitrary names without proving that they have control of the domain. With both of those conditions in place, it meant that you could successfully get certificates issued for domains you didn't actually control. It breaks domain validation. And, you know, when we say big providers, I'll go ahead and, and name and shame here. I mean, we're talking about Amazon Web Services and uh, Heroku. So these are really, really big names. So it was really cool. The, the, this person, uh, a researcher, found uh, this issue with domain validation on AWS and Heroku and uh, said, hey, you know, it's possible for me to exploit this lack of domain validation and uploading a certificate and a key to this site in a way that would allow me to get basically certs issued for sites that I don't own uh, via Let's Encrypt and, and Acme. And this is a really, really complex topic. The, the biggest thing I think that we can say for Acme is they responded literally within minutes of receiving his email. They're like, oh, crap, man, I, I see. That's, that's correct. This is a problem. Let's fix that. They had disabled the vulnerable uh, TLS SNI mechanism in Acme, 
and uh, started working on a patch that would mitigate the problem literally within minutes of receiving the email. So that was amazing. With that said, I think that the relevance of Acme and Let's Encrypt to this problem is pretty badly overstated. The real issue is that on a lot of these, you know, cloud hosting services like Heroku and like Amazon Web Services, it's possible to configure it to allow you to present traffic that appears to be coming from somebody else's website. And that's a huge problem, a much broader one than just the context of domain validation. It really is. Uh, thankfully, as you said, they responded quickly. Uh, that challenge is being removed. Uh, they have a new challenge that I think is in the design Um basically, you know, a second version of that same challenge that has taken some of this research into account. However, that's not been implemented, so something to look forward to in the future. They're also working on some stuff like testing domain validation from multiple network points. Um, and Jim, as you and I have talked about in the past, BGP hijacks can be a real problem and are one of the ways you can interfere with some of these domain validation challenges. So what Lepst Encrypt wants to do is have it standard that they test from very different points on the internet from different autonomous systems to make that a lot more difficult. It's not here yet, but it's something to look forward to in 2019 and should be coming to the protocol. Definitely look forward to that. It's, it's a lot harder to be man in the middle to basically the entire internet than to one single endpoint. Yeah, exactly. Now, we were talking a little bit about how you know, once once you've run your client, you basically just you, you get the keys and the certificates that you need. And it's great. It works very well for encrypting HTTP traffic over the web. It can also be used to encrypt other things. And a great example of that, and it comes to my mind because I know you're one of those people out there who runs their own mail server. Well, <laughs> you can use Let's Encrypt there. And the EFF has got a handy new guide. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've been looking forward to doing this. You know, I've, uh, I've had uh, encryption running for SMTP services and IMAP services on my mail server for five or six years now. Um, but, you know, it's old school with uh, commercially purchased certificates. And uh, it was, you know, the usual pain in the butt uh, to get certificates and install them and configure them. And I've had to go through the renewal process a couple of times now. And um, I've still got a year or so left to go on my commercially purchased certificate. But I pretty much from the minute I had success with CertBot and regular websites, I was like, well, obviously, this is what I want to start doing with my mail server from here on out. And, you know, as a longstanding sysadmin, I'm like, one way or another, this is going to be easy because I can get CertBot to automatically renew the things. And basically, as long as I know where on the server the certificates are, I can just point postfix to where those certificates are to get its certificates, you know, for... Uh, for its services, right? But it turns out that uh, Acme is a step ahead of me and uh, there are already docs specifically targeting how to use Let's Encrypt and Acme for your mail server, uh, whether it be Dovecot for your IMAP and your POP, or if you're talking about Postfix, uh, SendMail, Exum. Um, oh, Lord, and what's the... There's another one that I always forget, uh, but uh, they, they've already got documents for all of these how to make it happen. Right, and and the clients like CertBot in uh, version 29.0.29.1 and above, well, they've already got some integration so it can do all that same fancy sort of reloading and updating of configs for you. Which is absolutely great because uh, if you let your certificate expire on your mail server, uh, ooh. Yeah, there's some consequences there. Yeah, grab your fire extinguisher because you're going to start getting some angry phone calls really quickly. Now, as I said, there are just a ton of clients out there, and particular users will have particular preferences or find that it works well in whatever deployment or other environment you might have. We'll have links to uh, several of the ones that we've used or ones that are particularly interesting or their implementation is readable in the notes. But really, 
if you're just starting out, you should probably use Certbot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, when we were getting ready for the show and I was taking a look at some of the notes you put together, you had a, a couple of projects on GitHub that you're like, you know, hey, the code on this particular client is uh, really readable. And I looked at it and I tried to get interested, but honestly, I mean, I've been using CertBot and it works really well. It's super easy. Um, there's a ton of documentation out there. Even when you want to get into, uh, you know, less frequently traveled paths, like injecting CertBot into a site that's got a caching reverse proxy, um, you can find answers really quickly. And the fact that it comes from the Electronic Freedom Frontier, well, I, I, I truly cannot think of anybody I would trust code more from. So until I find a place that CertBot doesn't work for me, I'm, I'm kind of done looking. You're totally right about that. And it makes me think of some takeaways for this episode, which is just that it's easy and established. Uh, Let's Encrypt and therefore, you know, automated, easy certificates and encryption. It's old hat in 2019. It was kind of old hat in 2018. And so if you haven't jumped on this bandwagon, you don't you don't have an excuse. We'll have a ton of links in techsnap.system slash 395 that you can go explore. Go check out Serbot. Go start playing with it. You can spin up a new host on, on basically any of the common providers out there or even use it uh, for a domain you have registered for, for your home network if you want to. There's a ton of options. And honestly, it's so easy. It's just kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, Nike, don't sue me, but just do it already. And with that... We're at the end of this week's episode of TechSnap, but don't worry, you can find a whole bunch more over at techsnap.systems. You can also find the ways to send us feedback and get in touch. And don't forget to go subscribe while you're there to make sure you get every single episode. You can find more fine Jupiter Broadcasting shows over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Wes Payne. And of course, Jim too, he's at JRSSNet. Thank you for joining us. See you in two weeks, everybody. Bye.